Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Virginia, are you okay? Yeah, what's going There's on? There's a freaking gnat. Oh, oh, I was like, are you about to sneeze or you're like about to cry? Like, <laughs> Or did you fart or is it like hot? <laughs> All of the above. Salve! Welcome to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season... We are discussing critics, theorists, educators, and all things academia. And today, we're going to talk about Lena Bobardi, modern architecture star architect, and one of the first practicing women architects to publish architecture theory. I'm Nergiri Rivas, coming to you from Space City, a.k.a. Houston, Texas. Hi there, I'm Jessica Rogers, coming to you from Chocolate City, a.k.a. Washington, D.C. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rar, coming to you from The City, a.k.a. San Francisco. <laughs> Quick disclaimer, the three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find. So if we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, send us a comment, and we will all continue learning. I'm beyond excited about today's episode. Lena is the real deal, and it's also a listener request episode. Shout out to Greg Benchivengo. Greg! Yeah. Greg! We love Greg! Okay, so, Nergiri, though, maybe we should also give a special thanks to Professor Daniel DeRiva, who introduced us to Lena. True, true. Oh, for sure. Thank you, Professor DeRiva, for telling Jessica and I to study Lena Bobardi while we were developing a project together in school. And hence began our love for Lena. Hmm. All right. Everybody put on your seatbelts because we got a lot of ground to cover and we're talking theory and projects. So this is going to get a little heavy. I got my steel toe boots and hard hat on. Keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times. Right. We don't want to lose any limbs. PPE. Safety first. <laughs> <laughs> the time was December 4th, 1914. The place, Rome, Italy. Aquilina or Lina Bo was born. 
She was Enrico and Giovanna Bo's first child. Enrico was an engineer and a painter. Lena said she owed her analytical thinking and drawings to him for all he taught her. I mean, architecture, it's the best of both worlds. Exactly. That's why I've always loved it. Creative yet technical. She had a little sister named Graciela. According to Lena, Graciela was really smart and super good at science and math. Lena and Graciela had many conversations that probably went a little like this. Lena says to Graciela, With your amazing talent, you have to study engineering, and I will study architecture, and we can start Studio Bo Square. And Graciela would respond, mm, Grazie, but I'd rather get married. <laughs> you know, sometimes people have their own goals and priorities. Follow your arrow, Graciela. Follow your arrow wherever it points. I really yeah, hope that Casey that. Musgraves listens to our podcast. <laughs> Just going to send it to her. <laughs> Jessica, Lena reminds me of you because she was always looking out for her little sister and she was an art kid like you. True that. Shout out to my sister Gabby, who doesn't listen to the show, even though I tell her to all the time. <laughs> Come I on know. Now, Gabby. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. Hi, Gabby. But yeah. Yeah. Like you, Lena was interested in art her whole life. In 1933, at 19, she graduated from the Liceo Artistico Mamiani di Roma, an art high school. And after that, she majored in architecture. <laughs> Lena and I are like twins. Well, almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike you, though. Her parents were not happy about their daughter wanting to be an architect. But we're going to learn today that Lena is going to do what Lena is going to do. And everyone else does what they can do about it. <laughs> Lena did her thing and went to College of Architecture at the Universita La Sapienza di Roma. I wonder why they didn't want her to become an architect. Yeah, I didn't find any more info about that. It was the times, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, but you do you, Lena. That school is a big deal, too. She would have studied under Marcello Piacentini, who was a big proponent of fascist architecture in Italy, which wasn't great politically, but stylistically, it was a simplified and modern version of traditional Roman architecture. Yeah, Marcello was the dean of the architecture school and also Lena's professor and boss. While she was in school, Lena worked for him making drawings for projects and competitions. Que fico. Yeah, sounds like great hands-on experience. Her final project was called the Maternity and Infancy Care Center. I thought it was really interesting that she chose a subject that was so women-centric because I'm sure no man would have found such a program and space important enough to really dive into. True that. Yeah. So... Lena graduated in 1939, and she was like, I am so over Rome. Milan, here I come. <laughs> and her mom told her, dear, you should get married. And Lena was like, mom, I'm not Graciela. <laughs> and her dad said, okay, Lena, go try out Milan. I will send you money. And if it doesn't work out in one year, then you come back home and we will figure something else out. You know, there is nothing like an ultimatum that can motivate a person. Well, at least they let her go for a year, I suppose. Yeah, could be worse. Lena landed a job with the famous architect Gio Ponti, 
who taught her a lot, but didn't pay her well. Actually, he had the audacity to suggest Lena should pay to work with him because of all that he was teaching her. I thought unpaid internships were bad, but this is another level. Madonna mia. Testa di c***o. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really bad wow. word. It sure wow. is. We gonna quack it up in Italian. <laughs> oh, boy. I will get a quack. But, okay. Mm-hmm. Italian listeners, well, don't listen to this with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> well. Because she was working for Mr. Cheapskate, Mm. Lena had to hustle and she got a job doing all the drawings in the magazine Domus, which belonged to Gio. So at least he paid her there. Mm. And she also got a job as a journalist for Corriere della Sera, one of Italy's most read newspapers at the time and today. So within six months of her in Milan, she told her dad, Thank you for all your support, but I got this now. Yeah. And Domus, that is such a well-known design publication. Yeah. Get it, Lena. Way to be independent. Say davvero brava. Then at 28, she and her buddy, Carlo Pagani, started the firm Studio Pagani Bo. And somewhere in the background, there was this crazy famous art critic and museum curator called Pietro Bardi who was all over the place doing lots of work. He was even part of Siam with Corbu. Oh! Mm-hmm. Hmm. And he had the hots for Lina. Wink, wink. <laughs> Lucky for Pietro, Lina had the hots back. And they started dating. Oh, que carino. Que bello. <sighs> but sadly... Remember what was going on at this time, other than Lena being the definition of awesome? World, World War II. II. Yep. And her office got bombed. Wow. Terrible. Oh, no. Well, the war was rough. Studio Pagani Bo wasn't getting a lot of work, so Lena kept hustling. She started a weekly magazine with Bruno Sevi, another famous architect, called Atualita, Architettura, Abitazione, Arte. That's a lot of A's. <laughs> yeah, that's why it was called A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she also worked for other newspapers. And she was a deputy director for Domus from 1944 to 1945. She was on the map. I thought it was so interesting how she paved this whole journalistic career for herself adjacent to architecture. Totally out of necessity, but she totally thrived. She used these creative outlets to expand her thoughts and theories about architecture. So this uh, Bruno Zevi, that reminds me of episode 31, Ada Huxtable. So maybe they knew each other. And also, I mean, there's so many different ways you can take an architecture degree. And we've talked a lot throughout the seasons of how architectural writers have made an impact on the industry, like Ada, too. For sure. Yeah, definitely. My boss and I were just talking about that, too. I think a lot of people don't end up practicing in a typical firm setting, but it sets you up to think critically about design and it lends itself well to other offshoots of architecture and design. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. You'll see evidence of this as the story continues. As a journalist throughout and after the war, she was in the thick of a lot of the destruction. All of those experiences made her very socially and politically motivated. 
she became really involved in the Communist Party. But then, in 1946, the Democratic Christian Party won elections in Italy, and Lena was done with the country. She had met the president and thought he was a nice guy, but she totally disagreed with everything he was about and wanted to do. So she told Pietro, we are leaving, and she meant it. <laughs> she meant business. <laughs> well, Lena is going to do what she's going to do, and mm -hmm. we are casually going to bypass this whole communist part. Yeah, communist sounds like a bad word sometimes, but it, it wasn't supposed to be. Communism in the sense of an equal society. Mm. Mm, okay, I can see that. And then Pietro Sorda dared her to marry him, to which she was like, fine, as long as we get out of here. So they have a shotgun wedding at the Capitolio, and now she's officially Lena Bobardi. That's not a shotgun wedding. So she eloped. Yes, they eloped. Eviva Giuspozzi. After that, Pietro suggested South America because Pietro had exhibitions there and he really liked the place. So they were supposed to travel all over and pick a country to settle down. But Lena fell in love with Brazil. I mean, what's not to love? Mm -hmm. Some samba and capirinhas, brigadeiros, the wax. <laughs> <laughs> I do hear great things about Brazil. I can't wait to visit. Yeah. I just love that she was able to be like, you know, I want to get out of here. And then she just totally did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to do that, too. <laughs> Make it happen. Make it happen. Let me just talk to Osman after this. Mm -hmm. Just tell him we are leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Casually, a very wealthy guy, Assis Chateaubriand, who some call the Citizen Kane of Brazil, asked Pietro to start a museum there and for Lina to design it. So Lina told Pietro, let's do it. And Pietro said, sure thing, chicken wing. <laughs> Man, this lady gets what she wants. Damn straight. That museum was none other than the project that started our love for Lina, Jessica. The Sao Paulo Museum of Art, or MASP. Yeah! Turns out, starting a museum from scratch takes a long ass time. <laughs> but you gotta start somewhere, okay? So first things first, what does a museum absolutely need? Let me guess, art? Exactly. In 1947, Pietro was getting all the art while Lina was working on finding a permanent site and starting a design. In the meantime, they needed a place to start displaying the art that Pietro was getting. So they took over a few floors of the headquarters of the newspaper Diarios Asociados, which Assis owned. And that became the museum's first home. Actually, a few years later, the Diario Asociados needed a new building. And Lina got to design that too, because she got it like that. Okay. Already having a second project planned while working on the first one. Yeah, girl. Yeah, I mean, she had to have a lot of fires burning because that first project just took a long time. Yeah, sounds mm -hmm. like it. You'll yeah. see. In 1948, Lina Pietro Giancarlo Palanti and Valeria Piacentini Cirel opened a firm together, Studio de Arte Palma, working mostly on industrial design and furniture. 
I'm going to stop right here. I think we need to do a charrette episode later on about Lena Bobardi's furniture, jewelry, and art because it's super interesting, but we just don't have time to cover that today. Jeez, what didn't she design? Future charrette episode alert. Wee wee. Even though Lena had a lot going on, she was missing the magazine life. And she told Pietro, how romantic would it be if we started a magazine? And he replied, very. (laughs) And out of their love came Habitat, (laughs) a review of architecture and art in Brazil. I've spoken too soon. Now what hasn't she designed slash started slash written? What is free time? I mean, we haven't had any of that in the past year. (laughs) Yeah, but I feel like Lena didn't have any free time in her whole life. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. I bet you she didn't watch shows. (laughs) There was no Netflix. (laughs) Or take naps. Well, Habitat was really cool because she used it as a tool to expand her architecture theories and to study architecture, art design, and culture concepts in Brazil. And there was nothing else quite like it at the time. Focused on architecture and intertwining all forms of art design, including things you wouldn't necessarily think of with architecture like dance and fashion, Lena was breaking new ground. Ooh, interessante. Wow, that's really cool that she created something that wasn't currently available. I think a lot of times people start their own projects like this because they're looking for something and find there's a gap. I mean, that's kind of how this podcast started, too. Nerdjenny, you were looking for a history podcast about women architects and you couldn't find it. So here we are. So it sounds yeah. like Lena was doing the same thing. For sure. Lena was a boss. Mm-hmm. She really was. And this might all sound really highbrow and intellectual, but that was not Lena's intent at all. She wanted to bring all these concepts, ideas and education to the masses. A lot like Amasa from earlier this season. She always fought for architecture to be accessible, which I think is something we struggle with to this day. Through her magazine, she often explored the disparities of Brazil's built environment. For example, famous modern skyscrapers versus favelas. She did this because she wanted to mobilize the working class into action and to bring the middle classes back down to earth. I love that. I do think that architecture often feels inaccessible to people outside of the industry or that they don't really understand what goes into it. So I like that she wanted to bridge those gaps. Yeah, I mean, to this day, people don't understand what an architect truly does. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes I have a hard time telling my family what I do. (laughs) (laughs) You do a lot. (laughs) But anyway, back to Lena spreading her architecture. Vibes. (laughs) Housing, or more specifically, how humans inhabited space, had always been very important to Lena. And I find it really appropriate that her first completed project in Brazil was actually her own home. La Casa de Cristal, her glass house, in Sao Paulo in 1951. Love a glass house. I always find them super interesting to study. My case study house in school was the Maison de Verre in Paris. Nergeti and I visited the Glass House by Philip Johnson in school also, which are both very different projects. So I can't wait to hear about Lena's version. Mm, Yeah, I am very curious to see what this looks like. Yes. So you can go to our show notes and check it out. Lena was extremely interested in designing the experience of spaces, 
what you see, how, and in what order. So, since Jessica is very curious to see what it looks like, let's do an auditory walkthrough of her home. <laughs> Ready? Yep. Ready. You arrive at this elevated crystal box in the middle of nature. Its glass facade invites you to come in. The house is on pillow tees or stilts. So you walk under it towards the stairs. Once you go up the stairs, you admire nature in front of you. You almost don't even notice as you walk inside the living room and the exterior is becoming the interior. You see a tree literally penetrating the internal patio. The floor is made up of turquoise tiles reminding you of the sky above the tree or the rivers and everything that makes up life. In the public realm of the home, you are in nature. Ooh, you're really painting a picture. I haven't seen it, but I already love the tiles on the floor and the tree coming through the house. Well, based on the other work that I've seen of hers, I mean, the girl likes some pelotes. <laughs> What's not to like? The locals called this project the glass house, but it's almost false advertisement because really half of the house is glass and the other half was concrete. The private realm's facade was concrete with windows to protect the living borders. The house was a hybrid that represented Lena's theories so well, how she looked for ways to unite modern with traditional architecture. Modern in the sense of, let's make a house made out of glass, but traditional in the sense of, let's not make spectacles of ourselves while we are sleeping or in the toilet, you know? <laughs> yes, I like the mix of openness and privacy. Again, I always find it interesting to see how glass house designs deal with that. And I like that it kind of breaks it into halves and emphasizes public and private space. Were there neighbors close by? Not when she builds it. Later on, the area got a little more developed, but it was still deep in nature. It wasn't in the middle of the city. Gotcha. So I take it Lena wasn't into the whole voyeurism idea, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I do like the duality that she's expressing here. And to add to what Lizzie is saying, the whole like open versus private. Nojiri's modern versus traditional. I also see the idea of delicate versus sturdy. Mm. Yes, the juxtaposition of materials and how they are used is a powerful study as well. I found this so interesting because she was so purposeful in her intent and the function of the house. She was not like, I'm going to make a glass house for the sake of a glass house. She was like, I'm going to think through this how does it actually function and feel in a way that I find even more sexy than a true glass house? Yeah, I like that. It's a bit more realistic and comfortable for someone to live in. I know that in Philip Johnson's glass house, it is a completely glass box with a somewhat more private core in the middle inside of the glass box that that's where the bathroom is. However, that house is on a really large property where the risk of privacy issues is almost non-existent. So the bedroom mm -hmm. is on one side of the house, but it's still glassy so that you're still like connected to the nature when you're in the bedroom. And then on the complete opposite direction, the Maison de Verre by Pierre Charot, Bernard Baivot, and Louis Dalbet is right in the middle of Paris. So that one has a lot more privacy issues to deal with. And to add to that, it was a gynecologist's office on the ground floor and the house for the doctor's family above that. <laughs> wow, Lizzie, talk about putting your business on front street. 
It does, right? It sounds like a huge privacy issue, but the facade is actually made out of glass block, so it's obscure, but it lets in tons of natural light. And if I remember correctly from the original floor plan, the exam rooms and whatnot were towards the back of the house. And in Paris, a lot of the houses, you sort of enter off of the street into a courtyard, and then the house is behind that. So you can't see the house directly from the street. Okay, that makes more sense. But back to Philip Johnson and Lena's and well with Maison de Verre. You have to think about the context and the location of these Mm -hmm. houses. The glass houses like Lena's and Johnson really allow for nature to come in. And Charot's Maison de Verre is more about accessibility and who it serves. But I will say Lena's looks more practical. Like I would actually like to live there. Phillips, not so much, which actually it reminds me of another glass house, Mrs. Farnsworth house. Wait a minute. That's right, Jessica. Mrs. Farnsworth house was built in the same year as Lena's. The concepts were different, but I think me stole Lena's thunder. Like Michelle Obama stole our thunder when she launched her podcast a week before we launched ours. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly like that. Same Mm -hmm. thing. Same thing. (laughs) It was, (laughs) well, it was the battle of the glass houses, and yet we only really heard of one. But unlike these glass houses, Michelle's podcast is different than ours, so it's not so bad. I still love her. (laughs) Yeah, less to compare there, for sure. Mm -hmm. If you say so. Well, I wish they would discuss Lena's house more in theory class. Imagine living there. Imagine working there. Her home became her studio and her employees would just work and discuss ideas huddled up together in the living room, just chilling next to a tree. I mean, the natural light must have been impeccable. Yeah, it looks great. I'd stay there for sure. Mm-hmm. Good news. We can visit this project on our next Brazil adventure. This amazing project is now the Barty Institute where many of Lena's work and archives live. We have to go. We have to go. We gotta go. <gasps> let's go to Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. 1951 was an exciting year for Lena. Her glass house was built and she became a Brazilian citizen. It's official. Brazil is home. Yay, Lena. Nice. Parabéns. Yes, super great year for Lena. The glass house put Lena on the Brazilian architectural map. It brought in more work and opportunities for her firm, which we will be covering in our next episode. It's a cliffhanger. A She Builds podcast first, a two-parter. Yes, I decided to break her story into two parts so that we could have more time to discuss her formation, her theories, her projects, mostly her projects, really. But to me, she was worth diving into and I couldn't help myself. Such a tease. Fair, but don't worry, listeners. We can feel your anticipation. Trust us. We want to know more. (laughs) And you will. Okay. Just next week. Okay. Mm. All right. On that note, it's time for the Karyatid. Lizzie, please remind us what this is. Sure thing. A Karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we present a karyatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. 
All right, drum roll, please. <laughs> Maria Nicanor. Maria Nicanor is the executive director of the Rice Design Alliance, or RDA, the public and outreach programs of rice architecture. They do a lot. Architecture tours, design competitions, and publications such as Site, which I recently started reading thanks to Stephanie Suru who gave it to me. So thank you. This program sounds really cool. And hey, Stephanie Sudo. Ooh, that's so cool. I actually visited Rice as a possible place to go for school back in the day. They have a good architecture program. Yes, they do. And their campus is really pretty. It is. I like going to their cafe to study. Thanks, Rice. (laughs) Don't kick me out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the RDA's mission is to communicate the importance of design in everyday lives and how design can make our lives better. I think Lena would support this. Totally. That sounds like Lena's life mission. For sure. This is great. Maria has a BA in art and architectural history and theory from the Autonomous University of Madrid and Sorbonne University Paris and an MA in Museum and Curatorial Studies from New York University. Whoa, that's an impressive resume. Yeah. And um, okay, all of those schools are awesome. And wow, such a range of study. Mm-hmm. I know. This lady has been involved in a lot of exciting projects. She was the inaugural director of the Norman Foster Foundation in Madrid and the associate curator of architecture and urbanism at the Guggenheim Museum in New York. While she was there, she led the curatorial team of the BMW Guggenheim Lab, an international traveling laboratory for urban experiments and public programs. And... She was part of the team leading the International Architecture Competition for the Guggenheim Museum in Helsinki, Finland. Continuing to impress me. Wow. To this day, she still consults organizations and city governments on the development and good practice of architecture competitions. That's really interesting and good practice of competitions. I know we've talked about competitions on the podcast before and how they aren't always an equal playing field for potential competitors. Yes, I agree. Maria contributes to contemporary art and architecture publications and lectures all over the world about the future of museums and the role of architecture in museum practice. I can definitely see the connection with Lena, with their writing careers and both of their careers with museum design. Plus, it sounds like she has similar ideals to Lena about architecture and equity. Yeah, I would say so as well. I'm sure that museum practice might also have similar EDI issues like to architecture and other aspects of the profession. So it's great to see that someone's addressing that. Yeah. All right. Now, let's visit the Agora. Hey. Hey. So, in Greek society, the Agora was the central meeting place of the city where news was shared. So now we are going to share good news for my listeners and share the excitement and the wins together. This week's visit to the Agora is for our very own Jessication. (gasps) She got a super bomb job promotion a few weeks ago, so congrats to her. Yay! Yay! Very exciting. So proud of you, lady. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy. And um, okay, people need to know what it feels like to be celebrated at the Agora. So listeners, let's continue to share great news from you all. So if you have news to share, big or small, please send them our way to our email, shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Let's celebrate your accomplishments together. Because this is a great feeling to celebrate together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Celebrate good times. Come, Come on. on. Come on. <laughs> and with that, it's time to say arrivederci. Before we sign off, we want to say grazie. To CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, grazie mille to you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Lena and Maria along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, grazie mille. So, She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Did you know that Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world? Listen and subscribe to our friends and all of their shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, your roommates, your editors, your magazine peoples, all of them. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to keep learning about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website at shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until then... Ciao, ciao. 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 Yeah, but I want to do Portuguese on the next episode. Okay. okay. Tanti aguri. <laughs> happy birthday. Tanti aguri. Happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> and happy, happy birthday. birthday for listening. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. 
And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.